Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for September 14th through 20th. Third Nephi 8 through 11, arise and come forth unto me. And guys, I just have to say, I think I have the best listeners in the whole world. You guys are so amazing. Um, you know, I really struggled last week with last week's episode, and so many of you reached out to me and said you are praying for me, and um, just so many kind words. And I am so blessed to have you in my life. Um, even if you've never even message the Facebook page or anything like that, you're still part of my life because you listen to my podcast. And I'm so grateful too. I had two reviews this week that were so sweet. Autumn CC and CB Townsend 7, thank you for your kind words. And again, if you are enjoying The Savior Said, I would recommend that you go and leave a review on iTunes. It helps others who are looking for Come Follow Me podcasts find The Savior Said. So just thank you. You guys showed me so much love, and I felt it, and I'm so grateful for it. This week, we have an awesome episode. I'm really excited for you. This is kind of like, I would say, the whole pinnacle of the Book of Mormon is, you know, the visit of the Savior when he comes to see the Nephites. Um, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, and this is the other sheep that he is coming to see. And I love so much what we can learn from the chapters this week. Now, one of the things that really stuck out to me this week, I've been thinking a lot about art lately, and you're going to hear me talk about art multiple times in the episode. In fact, so much so that in one of the sections, as I was going through and reading it this week, I was like, I need to have an artist come talk about this. And so I reached out to one of my friends and we did an interview. So you're going to get to hear an artist. Her name is Robin, and she's going to tell you a little bit about light and dark and things like that. So um, stay tuned. It's going to be awesome. But let's jump in. And Come Follow Me starts out with, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. With these words, the resurrected Savior introduced himself, fulfilling over 600 years of Book of Mormon prophecies. Pause. All those who had waited for him, who had waited for the light to come, who had wondered, who had prayed, and who had looked forward with such anticipation to his coming, all of those promises were being fulfilled. So think about what you in your life are wondering about anticipating, praying for. Think of those promises yet to be fulfilled. You know, our God is a God of promises fulfilled. And that's one of the things that I love so much about this cha- these chapters this week. Okay, unpause, back to come follow me. That appearance and that declaration, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland wrote, constituted the focal point, the supreme moment in the entire history of the Book of Mormon. It was the manifestation and the decree that had informed and inspired every Nephite prophet. 
everyone had talked of him, sung of him, dreamed of him, and prayed for his appearance. But here he actually was, the day of days, the God who turns every dark night into a morning light had arrived. I love that. Of course I love it. It's Jeffrey R. Holland. I love JRH. He is awesome. So I really loved the introduction this week to Come Follow Me. It was really beautiful like the rest of the reading this week. Lots of beauty. Um, The first section in Come Follow Me is Jesus Christ is the Light of the World. I'm going to save that for a little bit because that is going to be part of my interview with my artist friend. So I'm actually going to jump into the second section, which is If I Repent, the Savior will gather, protect, and heal me. It says, How do you imagine the people felt after experiencing the destruction and darkness described in 3 Nephi 8? Well, Let's go in, because I'm going to tell you how I felt (laughs) as I was reading this. So let's talk about it. It starts out in verse 5. And it came to pass in the 30 and 4th year, in the first month, on the fourth day of the month, which, pause, by the way, some scriptural scholars believe that that is April. They figured out some way to track it down. I don't know. It's in the Book of Mormon made easier. They say that they think this was April, that it happened. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Unpause. There arose a great storm such an one as never had been known in all the land. And there was also a great and terrible tempest, and there was terrible thunder, insomuch that it did shake the whole earth as it was about to divide asunder. And there was exceedingly sharp lightnings, such as never had been known in all the land. And the city of Zarahemla did take fire, and the city of Moroni did sink into the depths of the sea, and the inhabitants thereof were drowned. And the city was carried up upon the city of Moroniha, And in the place of the city there became a great mountain. And there was a great and terrible destruction in the land southward. But behold, there was more great and terrible destruction in the land northward. For behold, the whole face of the land was changed. Because of the tempest, and the whirlwinds, and the thunderings, and the lightnings, and the exceedingly great quaking of the whole earth. And the highways were broken up, and the level roads were spoiled, and many smooth places became rough. And many great and notable cities were sunk, and many were burned, and many were shaken till the buildings thereof had fallen to the earth, and the inhabitants thereof were slain, and the places were left desolate. And there were some cities which remained, but the damage thereof was exceedingly great, and there were many in them who also were slain. And there were some who were carried away in the whirlwind, and whether they went no man knoweth, save they know that they were carried away. And thus the face of the whole earth became deformed because of the tempests and the thunderings and the lightnings and the quaking of the earth. And behold, the rocks were rent in twain, and they were broken upon the face of the earth, insomuch that they were found in broken fragments and in seams and in cracks upon all the face of the land. And it came to pass that when the thunderings and the lightnings and the storm and the tempest and the quakings of the earth did cease, for behold, they did last for about the space of three hours. And it was said by some that the time was greater. Nevertheless, all these great and terrible things were done in the space of about three hours. And then behold, there was darkness upon the face of the land. Okay, I'm going to pause there. So, as I was going through and I was reading this laundry list of like all these terrible things happening, and I know it happened in the space of three hours, but I was like, oh my goodness, this just reminds me so much of something that would happen in 2020. Like we have had so much happen this year. 
um, between the coronavirus and political stuff and riots and murder hornets and tor- fire tornadoes. And, you know, I'm like, this, this would be a list that would fit in really well with this year. And I started thinking about this list. I'm like, you know, they made a very detailed list and, you know, this happened to this city and this happened to this city. And then this was sunk under and this mountain was put on top of it. And, you know, very specific descriptions of the destruction that took place. And I started to think, why? Why would we need such specific descriptions of, you know, what took place in the destruction? And that's when I started thinking about art. Okay, um, go with me here. It's going to be a little side trail, but I promise I'll bring it back to this. So I love art. You guys know this about me. I'm artsy fartsy. My undergrad is in the humanities because I do love art so much. And my particular favorite medium of art is sculpture. I just think that there's some beauty that is brought out in sculpture. Just I love the 3D nature of it and just the intricate details of it. You know, there are some sculptures, Bernini in particular, where he can get the material he's working with, the marble, so thin and precise. You can see light through it. You know, there's other sculptures where they do incredibly intricate details and portray so much emotion. You know, there are sculptures that are so reverent to our Savior and reverence him so greatly. And so I just, I really love sculpture. And one of my favorite sculptors is Auguste Rodin. He is a French sculptor. And you actually probably have seen some of his work. Have you ever seen the sculpture that's like, it's called the thinking man or the thinker, where it's the guy and he's sitting there and he's got his fist kind of curled up and his chin on top of his fist. That's a Rodin. That's one of his pieces. Um, But one of the things that I love about Rodin, well, there's two things I've always really loved about Rodin, is number one, all of his sculptures have a really rough base kind of to them, where you see the actual, actual like natural formation of the stone. And then coming up out of it is that person or that thing that he's sculpting. And so you can see the beautiful way that he's polished the stone and brought life to the stone compared and contrasted to what the stone was naturally. The other thing that I really love about Rodin is because he's a sculptor of light and air. A lot of other sculpture, sculptors out there tended to use shadow to kind of define the details in their sculptures. Um, you know, they would make shallow like marks and things like that to kind of give the details life where Rodin was different he used light and air to create the details in his particular works of art and so when you go and you look at these sculptures they're almost like glowing like they're luminous being like radiating light because that was his whole goal was to kind of radiate this light um and so that's that's one of the two reasons that I really really enjoy Rodin and as I was thinking about the scriptures this week. And as I was reading through all the destruction chapter verses, the verses of destruction, this whole laundry list of destruction, I started thinking about Rodan and how he you know those rough pieces of stone, how he leaves those rough pieces so we can see kind of what the sculpture came out of, how we come into this world and we're kind of these rough pieces of stone, right? And I think at first, Rodin, when he starts, um, you know, chipping away at the sculptures and stuff like that, it's probably not very pretty. 
right? And it probably feels to the rock or the stone that he's chiseling, it probably feels like exceedingly sharp lightnings. It probably feels like fire and like things sinking to the depths of the sea. In our lives, when we encounter things that hurt us or when we make choices that hurt us, it feels like that sometimes, kind of chipping away at who we are, at what our dreams are, are how we feel about ourselves. You know, parts of us can feel like they take fire. Parts of us feel like they're sunk to the depths of the sea and are drowned. Part of us feel like they're buried under a great mountain. You know, have you ever had that feeling? Like, that's what I was thinking this week. And, and I was like, that's how I feel right now. I've struggled so much with this anxiety that I feel like my soul has worn thin. Like, I just feel so exhausted of carrying around this burden and being chipped at and being in the middle of this tempest. And just, I felt like, like spiritually and emotionally, I had just gone through 3 Nephi 8. And so I started to see my scriptures this week as I read 3 Nephi 8. I started to see it as a metaphor. And I realized that it is a laundry list of like things that actually happened. Like this is a historical record of what happened, you know, when Christ died and before he came to the Americas. But I also started seeing it as a metaphor for how I go through life and the things that I feel as I go through life. And so we're at the point, the master sculptor has gone through and, you know, we've chipped things away It's looking like it's still a big stone, but there's some shape taking place, right? And it's still a big lump of stone, though. So if we go into the scriptures, though, in chapter 9, they start to hear hear the voice of the sculptor. In 1, it says, And it came to pass that there was a voice heard among all the inhabitants of the earth, upon all the face of this land, crying, Woe, woe, woe unto this people! Woe unto the inhabitants of this whole earth, except they shall repent. For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice because of the slain or the fair sons and daughters of my people. And it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to. As I go through these verses, I want you to notice who has done the destruction. Who's taking responsibility for the things that just happened? Okay, verse 3. Behold, that great city Zarahemla have I burned with fire and the inhabitants thereof. And behold, the great city Moroni have I caused to be sunk into the depths of the sea and the inhabitants thereof to be drowned. And behold, the great city Moroni have I covered with earth and the inhabitants thereof to hide their iniquities and their abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come any more unto me against them. And behold, the city of Gilgal have I caused to be sunk, and the inhabitants thereof to be buried up in the depths of the earth. And the city of Onihah, and the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Mokum, and the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Jerusalem, and the inhabitants thereof, and waters have I caused to come in the stead thereof, to hide their wickedness and abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come up any more unto me against them. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So he's taking responsibility for all of this that has gone on in this destruction that has happened before he came. Now, I don't think that he's responsible for all the destruction that we face in our lives. Please don't, please don't say, think that I'm, I'm saying that. But I think that there is destruction that happens in our life or, you know, 
the ways that we get kind of chipped off and things like that as we go through life. And then he becomes the master sculptor who using light and air brings us to light to the point that we radiate light when we're a finished product. And he actually says that in 13. Oh, all ye that were spared because you are more righteous than they. Will you not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? So when I was reading this before, before Come Follow Me, whenever I read this verse, I literally thought it was like, you know, if a building fell on you and broke your leg in the middle of all this destruction, you know, will you come to me so I can heal your leg? Like I thought physically he was talking about healing. But I went in and read the scripture, repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you. He's not talking about physically healing. I'm sure he did that too. But he's talking about healing us from the destruction that we face in life. No matter if he caused it or no matter if just living life caused it, he is there to heal us. In 14, he says, Yea, verily I say unto you, if you will come unto me, you shall have eternal life. Behold, my arm of mercy is extended towards you. And whosoever will come, him will I receive, and blessed are they who come unto me. And he identifies himself by saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father and his Father. The Father is in me and in me hath the Father glorified his name. Okay, that phrase, I created the heavens and the earth. Christ is the master sculptor. And maybe that's why I love sculpture so much is because of it reminds me of his power of creation and that in some small way, we as human beings can in the barest, roughest way imitate bringing life to something that was dull and lifeless before. And I think that's why I enjoy Rodin's art so much because he does bring light and life you know, in a very similar, like, nowhere near, nowhere near the magnificence of Christ. Please don't, again, please don't think I'm being blasphemous when I'm I'm talking about this. It just reminds me of the way that Christ brings light and life to our, our lives. And so that's really what I was thinking about this week is, you know, he's the master sculptor. He takes us rough pieces of stone that we are and the way that we get chipped and we get dinged up throughout this life. And then he polishes us and he brings us to these, make these beautiful creations that will one day be perfected in him. We are healed by him. You know, his arm of mercy is extended towards us. All we have to do is turn to him. Neil A. Anderson talks about this in the Come Follow Me quote this week, where he says, I am amazed at the Savior's encircling arms of mercy and the love for the repentant, no matter how selfish the forsaken sin. I testify that the Savior is able and eager to forgive our sins. Now, if you actually go in and read that conference talk, it's beautiful. I definitely recommend that you do so. One of my favorite things it talks about is the arms, the arms of Christ. He says, In the months since the experience that he was just talking about when President Monson set him apart, I have thought of the Lord's invitation to come unto him and to be spiritually wrapped in his arms. He said, Behold, my arms of mercy are extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive, and blessed are those who come unto me. 
The scriptures speak of his arms being open, extended, stretched out, and encircling. They are described as mighty and holy, arms of mercy, arms of safety, arms of love, lengthened out all the day long. We have each felt to some extent these spiritual arms around us. We have felt his forgiveness, his love, and his comfort. And the Lord has said, I am he who comforteth you. The Lord's desire is that we come unto him and be wrapped in his arms. And it is an invitation that he often repeats. Behold, he sendeth an invitation unto all men, for the arms of mercy are extended towards them. And he saith, Repent, and I will receive you. I just love that idea of being gathered up in Christ's arms and all those adjectives that describe his arms, arms of mercy, of safety, of love, mighty and holy, encircling, stretched out, extended and open. Like, I don't know if those are adjectives. Sorry, I'm pausing on that for a moment. I don't even know what part of speech they are. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they're beautiful words and they are describing the arms of Christ And when we turn to him, they're all those things to us. I just love that idea. Okay, so I've talked a little bit about sculpture and art just, you know, as it pertains to like sculptures, but I also really love art that is like two-dimensional, like paintings and things like that. And one of my favorite artists is Robin, and you can find her in Etsy and on Facebook and stuff like that, Um, Art by Geek Girl. And I'll be posting links to her stuff. But I love the way that she portrays light and darkness, like, in her paintings. And so when I started reading the section, she was really one of the first people that came to my mind. And I was like, I've got to interview Robin. And so I did. So you're going to hear this interview now. This is with Robin, Art by Geek Girl. All right, guys. So today we have a very special guest with me here. We're going to do an interview with. This is Robin, and you know, the internet is kind of a funny place because you can meet some of like your favorite people on the internet and never have like met them in real life, and to me, Robin is one of those people who I actually met through the podcast. Um, I think you messaged the page, the podcast page one day, and we just started talking, and um, we collaborated on like an art giveaway for the podcast, and I just love Robin, and I love having Robin in my life. So. I'm excited that you guys are going to get to meet her and hear some of the things that she's going to say. So, Robin, welcome to the Savior Said. Thank you. You're going to make me cry a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, only good tears here. Only good tears here, of right? Of course, of course. <laughs> All right. So, one of the reasons I felt it was so important, Robin, to ask you in this particular episode of the podcast was because this is the episode, you know, where Christ is coming to visit the Nephites. And in the chapters that we read, there are a lot of contrasts between light and dark. And Robin is an artist. I love her artwork. Um, They're just amazing. And so she was one of the first people I thought of. When we go into the Come, Follow Me assignment, it talks about Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so that's one of the reasons why Robin really came to my mind. And it said specifically that you might notice themes related to darkness and light, both physical and spiritual, that are repeated throughout these chapters. Robin, did you notice any themes when you were reading the scriptures this time? Um, Absolutely, of course. Um, So I noticed, the first thing I noticed, that, that the darkness, like, came, like, 
after the destruction. It wasn't necessarily part of it. It came after. So they had to witness all this stuff happening. And then, you know, that's all that's playing in their heads over and over once it's dark. And they could feel it. They could feel that vapor of smoke. And I just, like, I don't know. I thought I could feel it this time because things going on in our world right now that I'm like, whoa. Like, it just seems so poignant, I guess is the word. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word. But it just felt so real to me this time. Um, whereas always the coming of Christ has seemed so far away. This time it felt like it's close. Like, and I love it. I feel like it's so much closer than we realize. Oh, girl. Yes. I totally experienced that too. As I was reading these chapters, I was like, um, so I feel like they're describing 2020. Like right? <laughs> this was our year. <laughs> it's a book of Mormon, right? Um, no, but I, I agree. And I, I think what you said specifically about the darkness being like palpable, like they could feel it. Um, you know, we're not necessarily visually seeing darkness, but like I feel darkness in the world. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Um, I had to stop watching the news. Yes, exactly. I also okay. noticed that when it was dark is also when it was the loudest. It was There were still rumblings. There were still... You know, places falling. There were still mountains going up where they hadn't been. All that stuff was like, they could hear it, but they couldn't see any of it. And I just think right now, that's how we feel sometimes is that the the world is so loud. Yeah. And kind of dark too. I think that's a really interesting thought. I hadn't put the volume and like the dark and light stuff together, but I think you're absolutely right. That must've been really scary. I know, right? (laughs) To listen to all that. I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, that must have been really scary. So I want to talk about your life and, you know, what there are questions that ask when come follow me are what brings darkness into your life and what brings light? Do you have some examples that you might want to share with us? Uh, of course. So um, we, we keep things pretty upbeat at our house. I have six kids, so it's also very loud all the time. Um, but it's very interesting because we've gone through as a family some some kind of hard things. And when those times when it was the darkest and when it felt the heaviest is also when the light seemed the brightest and perhaps it was the contrast um, between the two. But those times when I had to seek the Lord, that, that he wasn't just automatically here, but I had to search for him. Those are the things that secure my testimony because they're the times when I knew he was there. It wasn't, I just believed he was there. But I could feel him there. Um, And I loved in these verses, it talked about how the whispering, when the Lord's voice started and they didn't know what it was yet, Mm -hmm. that didn't wait for the dark to go away. That whisper was in the dark. They had to choose to hear it. I I can't even tell you how many times I've experienced that when I've just had to hold on to that sliver of his, the whisperings and like, focus on that. And then the light came, the light came in the morning and they talked about the joy they had in the morning, which I found fascinating after all of that. <laughs> they yeah. yeah. So we, like I said, we've had some family experiences like that, but especially lately, um, not even in dark times, but um, our family has made a decision that we're going to move. And it's kind of crazy because we don't have all the answers. We don't know where we're going yet. We don't know if our house is even going to sell, but but we have those slivers, those little whispers, one thing at a time. We knew the first thing we needed to do was some research on this part. And so we did that. 
And then we knew we needed to start packing. And so we are working on that and we knew who we needed to call, but they're just these little slivers. Like we don't get to hear the whole sentence because they, they didn't even know what he was saying. They're like, what, what is this? What's happening right now? But that's kind of how the Lord works is sometimes when he gives us these thoughts and these promptings are so quiet that we don't even understand them all the way. But if that's where we're looking We'll find our joy in the morning. It's going to be hard work and we have to get through the dark first, but we'll find our joy in the morning. I love that. We'll find our joy in the morning. So you've talked about, you know, searching for those slivers and kind of just taking it a step at at a time. So for someone who is in metaphorical darkness, kind of like the Nephites were at that point, um, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice for someone who is searching after Christ, but is kind of feeling unsuccessful? I mean, the first thing would be read the Book of Mormon. (laughs) You know, that's the one place that is going, you're going to have answers no matter what, no matter what the question is. And no matter where you open it, you'll find an answer to you. But also, I think it's okay to talk to people. It's okay to talk to, um, you know, other people who maybe you feel like might have a stronger testimony than you, or even they don't even have to be like members of the church. Um, We've been talking with some friends and she said she didn't realize her part in the gospel and her part as a ministering sister until she got really close to some ladies just in other Christian groups. Because sometimes we get in the habit of um, waiting to be asked. We wait to be called to a calling or we wait um, to be asked to take dinner to somebody. Whereas in a lot of other Christian communities, they just step up and do it. They're like, my gift from God is that I can do this and now I need to do it. And so she, after experiencing that, she tried to do that more as a member. And she said, it's amazing how much better you can minister. So one of, there are like seven ways, like automatically you can feel the Holy Ghost, like no matter what. Obviously the ones we know, praying, reading your scriptures, service. I have them written on a list here. And I didn't make this list, by the way. This was uh, from my friend's mission president. Like, But it sounds 20, like an awesome list. I'm <laughs> um, journaling, hymns, which of course... When she said hymns, I was like, hey, that's my jam. Love that. (laughs) Right? And then showing love, which can also be service. And that's also one of the very fastest ways. Bearing our testimony and then a priesthood blessing. And that does not have to be getting a priesthood blessing. That could be studying the blessings of the priesthood, especially ones that we as women already have. And that have been given to us by us keeping our covenants. And that goes along with ministering also. I love that idea of studying your, you know, the blessings that you've received through the priesthood as a woman. Yeah. And because how many times have we, how many conference talks are there about that recently? Mm -hmm. We we need to know our power as women. And it's funny because I actually, I've never, it's never been a question to me. I don't know. I just grew up understanding. I watched my mother serve. My mother was amazing. Um, She serves every, was, she still is. (laughs) um but she is so good at giving service and about loving people no matter where they're from that I guess it it didn't occur to me that some people were not happy with not knowing you know their their priesthood duties also because my mom showed hers she served um and so as I got older and the internet got louder and people would get upset about women not holding the priesthood and stuff and you know, my, my thoughts were logistical. Well, I don't want to hold the priesthood because really I'm busy enough as a wolf den. I don't want to be bishop or anything like who has time for that? Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> that I'm like, 
I don't want to be vicious. Let somebody else do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. And so it was always logistical. But recently, it's been so interesting because my only interest in, in like women in the priesthood has only been recently. And it's because the women that I know um, that have done the searching first because it did bother them, um, they have learned so much and they have shared their knowledge. And it's just beautiful like to see, to we read, we have all those blessings. No, we can't go lay our hands on somebody, but we can bless them as much as a priesthood blessing. It's yes. just in a different manner. We are mm-hmm. still using that power, that ability to to work in God's name in a different way. We're still doing it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in God's name and things like that is reminding me of Sisters in Zion. Yes. And, you know, the phrase, the errand of angels is given to women. Absolutely. And, you know, I think about that and how when we serve each other as sisters, you know, we're magnifying the ability that we have to bless each other. And I mean, that's from God. So what other power could that be? Exactly. You know? And again, that. how often we have heard about it conference after conference recently relating that and it, it was kind of a wake up call to me because like I said, it didn't ever like I have a book called Women in the Scriptures. I've never even cracked it open. <laughs> you need to get on that, girl. <laughs> like it just didn't, it wasn't a burning question that I had. It wasn't thing. But now, like I said, because of my friends, like this time, like when we read about Abish, I was like, whoa, she is way cooler than I knew before. Oh, and yeah. I, the Stripling Warriors Mothers has always driven me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I felt like I couldn't measure up. Until mm-hmm. I realized that there was more to that. And it was the fathers and the mothers keeping their covenants and teaching. And then, you know, it, of course, it talked about the dad's role was providing. They brought provisions. And then the mom's role was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, like, it's together to me, then I was like, oh, this is my duty. Like, okay, I can do this. My kids will remember what I taught, even if they don't like it right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said about it's keeping the covenants is one of the things that taught them that and modeling that for them. There was a conference talk about that. I don't know how many years ago it was given, um, but it talked about that. It was all about part of the reason that, that they were protected because their fathers kept their covenants by not getting those swords out again. And the, the 60 that came later, mm-hmm. I had never ever noticed that part before this year. And maybe it's because my son, I think is one of those sixties. He's so funny. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 16. He knows yeah. the church is true. He reads his Book of Mormon every single day. And yet he still says he struggles. And I think, do you really? Or do you just feel like you're supposed to? I think maybe it's, <laughs> there's a productive struggle that goes on in adolescence, I think. Um, you know, and I think sometimes we feel some of that dark just so that, like, you know, you're talking about the sisters who had struggled with the priesthood and, you know, finding perspective on the priesthood because of that struggle they've uncovered so much light, you know, that they're able to share with, with others. So I think sometimes for our teenagers and our young men and our young women, sometimes that there are those struggles that even though they know it's true, they still have to figure it out on their own and become converted on their own. And um, so I think there might be some struggle there. I'm not, absolutely. you know, your kid better than I, obviously. obviously. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of what I feel. I'm like, he just has to have his own testimony. That's just, he just cracks me up one, at one point he had a, said he didn't believe all these things and then we went to parent teacher conference and we went to seminary 
Mm-hmm. And his seminary teacher came in. He goes, we love this kid. He's so great. Everybody around him knows that Jesus loves them just by being around him. He's the greatest kid. And I'm like, I looked at him and I said, really? Like, <laughs> okay. But, oh, so clearly he's doing something right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so finding our priesthood blessings throughout this can be, I mean, the scriptures talk about it over and over and over. And that can I be a great so source much. of source of light in our lives, I think. Absolutely. And all those things can. They can be automatic. Tooting my own horn. You said yeah, sisters and Brian. And go of course, I'm like, oh, I have two prints of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, Robin does these amazing prints where it's um, she takes hymns and then she does like watercolor pictures on top of them. And I mean, I have several that I've gotten from you. Master of the Tempest is Raging because y'all know it's like my favorite. And then A Mighty Fortress is Our God, I think, with Hogwarts on top of that. Yep. Was that one? <laughs> yep. And then I think I got another one from my mom that's um, Where Can I Turn for Peace that had like the beach in the background. That's right. That was really pretty. See, and interestingly enough, when you told me you wanted to talk about light and dark, I actually thought of one and it was the image on it more than the than the song itself. But it was... um. I know that my Redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I tell the story of this one is because, like I said, so you said the light and the dark, and this like piece has the most contrast. I was asked to paint on that song for um, a group called North Star. Mm-hmm. So they, they're a, an LGBTQ plus group in the church that um, wants to follow the council and it was doing their best, but it's, so it's kind of like a support group. And yeah. um, I've only looked at their website a little bit, but um, at the time that I was asked to do that, she said, watch YouTube. She goes, we're going to be having a video of that. And so if you YouTube North Star, I know my Redeemer lives, you'll mm-hmm. find this incredible video. Um, and it's just people in their community singing the song, but it's just absolutely stunning. Um, but the picture for that one like I usually when I I get a request for a song, people usually kind of have an idea of what mm-hmm. they're looking for. But these guys didn't. They just said, here's the song. Um, and I have files and files on my computer of photos that I've saved or taken um, or that other people have sent me as inspiration. Well, I had this one and the girl who took it, we had been Facebook friends like years ago. And like we weren't even Facebook friends anymore just because we didn't run in the same circles anymore like at all. So I emailed her for permission and she answered right away, which I was glad because, you know, when you're not friends with somebody, it doesn't, you don't see the message right away. Um, and she answered immediately. And this painting, I kid you not, took less than an hour. Wow. <laughs> which most of them, if you don't have to wait for dry time, then put together, most of them probably don't take much longer than that. But this one was like start to finish. Like it just came like, because I pray before I, I paint. And I can tell the times I didn't because those paintings never turn out. You won't ever see those ones. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the episode of the tank. Those are the ones I didn't say the prayer before. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Like he wants us to be his instruments, but he, we got to ask to be led by him too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let me it ask you, what, what's in this painting that's so, that's so beautiful? It's a storm cloud, like uh-huh. a huge black storm cloud like I was worried you wouldn't be able to see the words through it for a minute um but there is a ray of sunshine just 
barely poking out. So it's just like the middle of nowhere. Like it's this random tree on a road. Mm -hmm. But it's the sky that like when I saw it, I was like, that's beautiful. And I didn't even know what it was going to be for later. Um, So when I knew that that was the right one, I don't know, like the dark parts of it just came. It was incredible how it came together. So it's one of my favorites just because it was like, that wasn't my hand painting it. Like that was all Heavenly Father. That's you know what so I mean? Cool. I love those experiences when you can turn around and just be like, that was Heavenly Father. Right. And not all of them do I feel that way. I do feel guided in most of it. And I actually have changed the way I do it. Now I just do a regular painting and you pick your hymn and put it on top. Mm-hmm. But I have the other ones available. But um, it's not the same. It yeah. feel the same. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so glad we got that story because I was like, I want to hear about her art and light and <laughs> darkness. So I'm so glad we got that story. I love it. I, I love should it. try to paint like what I think they paint. I don't do people normally, uh-huh. but I really want to learn. But that might be a cool one to do right then when the Savior comes after all that destruction. That might be kind of cool to yeah. try. That would be very cool. I Okay, I've got a challenge for you now. I think oh. you should do that. <laughs> We can update people on the Savior set as, as you go along. Post it on social media or something. Right. I'll send you the Instagram progress pictures. <laughs> That's right. There you go. I don't know. I'm going to try. I do want to learn to do people. Oh, it's good. You're so good. I'm sure it's going to be great. So let me ask you, is there any other times that you really felt like that Jesus Christ has been a light in your life? It's one of those things that I kind of feel like we get so used to the feeling that mm-hmm. it's hard to pinpoint like specifics because I feel like he's just always there. I actually, um, I had gone to, <laughs> this is kind of a cool thing. This doesn't even answer your question exactly, but it's a cool experience that works with it. Um, I listen to a ton of podcasts. A lot of them are come follow me cop podcasts, but some of them aren't. Some of them are like, I don't know if you've ever listened to all in it's a, yeah. Yeah. So she had interviewed a guy about, um, he had written a book about the Holy ghost mm-hmm. and, in it, he talked about how sometimes, you know, do fish really know what water feels like? Because like yeah. they're in it all the time. He goes, sometimes we do that with the Holy Ghost. We get so used to it that we kind of forget what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and I've always actually kind of thought that I wasn't really that in tune until I started painting. But I had an opportunity to go to the prison here, to the men's prison, and listen to Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler speak. And mm-hmm. it was crazy because when you walk in those doors of the prison, the spirit's gone. It's yep. not there at yep. all. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to not have the spirit with you. Like mm-hmm. plain and simple, no doubt. But then you get in this room of people who want to be there because they get to choose whether or not to come. And you know, I know that some of them are there just because it's something to do. But when they started speaking and started relating to these men, the ones who did want to be there, who had stories to tell, who really were looking for redemption. It was crazy strong. And I'm like, I don't know if it's strong. Again, it's the contrast. I don't know if it was so strong because it hadn't been there or if it really was stronger than normal. I do think it was stronger than normal. It was incredible. I just, anyway, so like that's kind of how I feel like when Jesus has been my light, well, I try to make him my light every day. But I also have noticed that Satan works harder at conference time. So conference always feels like more of a light because I swear the week up to it and the week after are the darkest weeks. Yeah, they are. They're hard. 
I'm like, this is what happens. We don't take the sacrament this week. <laughs> we, so we're back to church every week. And I'm so grateful because even here in Utah, not everybody is. I have know a lot of people who still aren't. And I'm so grateful because you don't realize how much just that taking the sacrament mm-hmm. really makes a difference for your whole week. It and so does. maybe that's one. Maybe I could say that. I feel his light when I take the sacrament. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't notice it then, I sure notice it when it doesn't happen. Yes. And, you know, I think that's an interesting key to it, too, is that I think we need darkness in life. Like, like that's why we were sent to this earth, because we need to know what it's like to have the spirit with us. And we need to know what it's like to seek after Christ. And we can't do that if darkness wasn't present. Well, God you know? is a God of opposites. And he tells us that, you know, over and over that we have to have the dark to understand and appreciate the light. We have to have the sick to understand the healthy and even like, even if you watch the way Satan works, even Satan works in opposites of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just in the last few chapters that we've read, I know that this is a little farther ahead, but the chapters before when they talked about um, how the Gadian robbers were st- making covenants. Yes. Like, wait a minute. Normally we would call those oaths, but he mirrors all of it. He'll take all the good things and try to have a counterfeit. But that's why this, when when Jesus came to these people, that's why it was so beautiful, is because there was there couldn't be any counterfeit. These weren't all super righteous people. It said they're the more righteous. They're literally the only ones who didn't stone the prophets. That's yeah. who was left. Yeah. It wasn't like these were all stellar people who were doing the things they were supposed to. It's not a very high bar. <laughs> right? But look, there was no doubt in their mind. The, the next few chapters are like the whole point of the Book of Mormon. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's like awesome. I'm always sad when Alma ends. Poor Helaman. I struggle with the Book of Helaman so bad because I love Alma the Younger so dearly. I swear he and I were friends before we came to this earth. And yeah. he's going to meet me on the other side when I die. I just know it. He's going to be like one of those people <laughs> there because we were buddies. I just read his book differently. And then Third Nephi starts, and even the first, like, couple chapters are brutal of third uh-huh. Nephi when you're just waiting and waiting and you know that uh, that's what they're asked to do is just keep on waiting and I oh it's just so hard and even someone was like well how close do you think we are to the savior coming and this was several weeks ago and I was like mm-hmm. well this is where we're at in the book of Mormon this is what's happening and this is what's happening on earth so we pretty much just have third Nephi left <laughs> and then I realized I had forgotten all about healing. I'm like, dang it. Okay, so maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow like I pray every day. Is it today? Is it today? <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> and even these chapters are a little bit because they're still waiting. <laughs> so close. So close. And then next week, <laughs> next week is when everything is okay. Yeah. And they still had to wait there in the dark, too. For three days, that would be torture. Yeah. My power goes out for three hours and I'm stir crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm losing my mind. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to tell us? Oh, the church is true and I love Jesus. I don't know if those are. God is good all the time and he has to let us suffer. We're just, I think people forget that he's promised that all the hard things, every hard thing will be made up to us in the end. All of it. Every stub toe, like as minor as that, but also all the really hard times when we have to search for Jesus. We yes. have so much more understanding and 
love for him than we even know that is possible. Well, Robin, thank you so much for your time today and for telling us a little bit about your life and your stories and your art. And um, I will post some links on my social media and stuff to direct you guys to Robin's art if you want to go check it out. I have always just really loved it because I love the way that she weaves, you know, music into art. Robin, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And I hope to come back in another way sometime. Yeah, girl. We gotta <laughs> have you back on here again someday. I love it. That would be fun. We should do another giveaway too. I think so too. I think maybe at the end of this year, Christmas time is when we did it last year. So we do it Christmas time again. Perfect. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. And that's all for this week's episode. Again, a big thank you to Robin for coming on and talking to us about light and dark and just sharing some of her experiences. Um, That was a lot of fun. So I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you look for the art and the beauty and just the way that God shapes us and the masterpieces that he is creating out of our lives. I hope you'll look for that this week. I love you guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 